Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Happy Wednesday, Secret Squad. I'm Robin McGraw, and this is a brand new episode of I've Got a Secret. Chris Lauder is one of the world's most sought-after bar consultants and spirits educators. He is the co-founder of LTH, a restaurant, bar, and hotel management firm with clients such as Four Seasons Hotels and Bulgari China. Chris was even named one of the 100 most influential figures in the global bar industry by Drinks International. I'm excited to have a fascinating conversation with Chris about different drinking cultures around the world, the back end of the most high-end bars and restaurants, and the inside scoop on spirits and mixers. This is The Secret to the Back of the Bar. So welcome, Chris. Hey there, how are you? I'm doing great. I am so excited about this podcast today because this is actually one of my very favorite topics. (laughs) Oh my gosh, the pleasure is absolutely mine. Thanks so much for for taking the time to have me on. I'm I'm fired up. We're in the back of the bar. There's so much to discuss. Yes, yes. Listen, if you can't have fun talking about this topic, then I don't know when you can have some fun. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Ultimately, bars are all about having a good time and meeting people and having some open conversation. You know what I mean? It's a it's a third space, right? You've got your work you've got your home and you've got this other thing. So it's just such a great place to be able to share with friends. That's right. And especially the fact that we're going to go around the world talking about great restaurants and bars and great drinks. I understand you recently got back from Mexico exploring tequila distilleries. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. I went down with some good friends who run a distillery called Danos down there. And uh, that was the whole whole goal was I've been around the world. Weirdly, I've spent most of my travel time in Asia. And so this past year and a half since moving back to the States, it's more been about like, okay, now it's time to catch back up on our home soil and get around North America here. So tequila was long overdue. It is a stunning piece of countryside there. Amazing people. Oh, that's so wonderful. I have to tell you a little secret of my own. Uh, I guess you, call, you, I guess you could call it a secret, but you know, I'm sure you know because all of the secret squad out there, all the listeners know that my husband Philip does not drink. So we've been together. 50 years. We've been married 46, almost 47 years, and he just doesn't drink. He has no problem with other people drinking. He just made a choice before I ever met him, actually, to not drink alcohol. And so I'm like, okay, that's cool. And I actually never drank any alcohol either while raising our boys. So it was just a choice also that I made. Both of our fathers were alcoholics. And so I just decided not to be married to an alcoholic and not to raise my children in a home with an alcoholic. So that was just cool with us. But it wasn't that I didn't want to drink. I just chose not to until I had our children raised. But I did enjoy a glass of wine when we would go out Mm. to dinner and when we would entertain. 
And for many reasons, I chose to give up wine. Uh, it didn't set well with me about five years ago. So long story short, full circle, I enjoy tequila. I love tequila. <laughs> you can blame my boys. That. You can blame my boys, Jay and Jordan, for that, because they sure know how to mix a beautiful drink of tequila for me. Absolutely. And I, I hear you about, you know, it's really funny um, living in Asia and now coming back to the States. I see more and more people, you know, opting to either uh, these kind of cocktail alternatives, non-alcoholic drinks, things like that. It's a huge um, like surging part of the market, actually. And it's refreshing to see, right? It's, it's nice to see that bar spaces are more and more inclusive. So, you know, you can go for a tequila, but also if you've got friends that aren't maybe keen to drink, I see more and more products available, more and more cocktails being made with this kind of non-alcoholic, um, you know, product line. So that's been really fun to see. And, and it's it's an exploding part of the industry. I'm really happy about it. Yes, I am too. It's it's so fun for, uh, it, it really is fun to to know that if I, if I want to have a drink with my meal, it can be tequila. I don't have to have a fine wine with my meal. I totally. really do enjoy having a tequila. Absolutely. And you know what, with tequila, it's funny because it, that's a spirit category that gets the bad rap, right? Because you've got a lot of low end tequilas. I won't go ahead and name names and brands, but we all know the ones we're talking about, right? Yeah. Like gold, color, very artificial. And uh, the trick is, and I'm not sure how many of your listeners know this. Here's a little, while we're sharing secrets, this is like an industry secret, right? Is actually in tequila, um, you, you only legally have to call it tequila if it's 51% agave. So agave is like the big spiky cactus, right? That we all know now you have agave syrup and things. So legally, you can have 51% of that alcohol come from agave. The other 49% can come from anywhere that you can get a cheap source of alcohol, right? It could be failed crops. It could be all kinds of stuff. And so that's why when you really think about, you know, the shots you had, maybe, uh, you know, some people have that bad tequila memory, right? And that comes from a kind of tequila called mixto. So next time anybody that's out there listening, if you're curious about tequila and it's such a vibrant category, right? Like you're talking about having a glass with dinner. It's really that level of complexity, which is so cool to see. But just make sure when you buy it, that it has the words 100% agave on the label. Otherwise, if it doesn't say 100% agave, it's a very good chance that it's only 51%. Wow. And that's going to be a road to a hangover. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so that's the, interesting. That's the tequila secret. Yes, yes. You really have to be careful. Like, it's, a, it's an amazing category in terms of uh, artisanship and agriculture and beautiful traditions, right? You've got this amazing product that exists now, but at the same time, there's all this other kind of still called tequila, right? But it all gets mixed into the same grocery store aisle. So it's it's a it's a big part of the reason why I think up until the last maybe 10, 15 years that it had gotten such a bad rap. But now we're seeing this almost like renaissance of, of craft tequila drinking, right? Which yes. is uh, very exciting. Yes, I'll tell you so, uh, just a little side story to that. We purchased a second home in Dallas, and I'm in the process mm -hmm. of, of redoing it to make it you know, more our taste. 
And when I went into the dining room, the formal dining room of this home, there was a closet in there. And to me, it just didn't fit. It didn't fit to have a closet in a formal dining room. So I said, okay, what am I going to do? And my, my whole goal was to have this home look like when someone walked in the front door to just look around and go, wow, there's a party going on in, in this home. And so I thought, okay, Love right that. here at the front of the house, formal dining room. I took the door off of this closet and finished out the entrance to it. And I said, okay, we're going to shorten the depth of this closet. And so I'm calling it my tequila tasting closet. And you could just <laughs> step up to it and get a shot of tequila. You don't walk into it because you just step up to it. It is so gorgeous. I'd love to see a picture. But what a, what a journey that is, right? From not drinking to having a glass of wine to now you've got a whole rose gold tequila tasting closet yes. right in the entrance. That's beautiful. I, I can't wait to beautiful. show you a, an image of it. It is absolutely gorgeous. And speaking of uh, tequila, what are some of your favorite brands that you can get in the States? Oh, my gosh. So for favorite brands... Uh, I really like uh, a product called, if you want to go the craft route, um, there's a product called Fortaleza that I think is very delicious. I also really recommend taking a look at uh, Chimarron, C-I-M-M-A-R-O-N. I think that's what it is. Uh, and then um, I think Escalone's pretty tasty. Uh, there's Anyway, there's a whole number. The, the big thing to research, I think, if you're interested in a tequila is not just is it 100% agave or not, but also take a look, um, if you're curious, how is that tequila made? Because sometimes you'll have the agave that's ground with a stone, right? And that's like really slow, hardcore, artisanal, old school process, right? But then you've got more and more modern uh, industrial processing. And the more industrial you get, Naturally, it'll be a little bit less rustic and you'll lose some of that delicious flavor. Um, if you want to have something that's really like old school, full flavored tequila, um, get yourself a bottle of Fortaleza. They don't pay me to say that. I genuinely just think uh -huh. it's a good product. Um, and, and Chimarron's definitely worth a look. Oh, how fun. I cannot wait. I can tell you I haven't tried either one of those. I cannot wait. They'll definitely go into my tequila tasting closet. Right into the tequila tasting closet. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. When you taste tequilas, is it the same ritual as wine? Oh, what a great question, Robin. Okay. So when you when you taste the spirit, it's actually a very different process. And I can tell you, um, because I've I've been on a judge on a whole number of spirits tasting panels. Oh, you can imagine what fun. that's like, right? You 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 camp out at a hotel for a few days every morning. Technically speaking, okay, let's let's get really nerdy here. So technically, to do a tasting, the best time of day is before you've eaten anything. First thing when you wake up, if you really want to get into tasting it. So you can imagine if you're starting off with a little tequila in the morning, you know, eight o'clock or seven o'clock or whenever you get up. <laughs> so, and the reason why biologically, right, is that in, let's imagine you're in the nature, in nature, and you're, you know, you're hunter gatherer, right? You've you've woken up. The first thing you want is to to make sure you nourish yourself, and so that's when your body is like most primed to receive calories. Not to be too weird about it, right? But 
so your your uh, uh, sense of taste and sense of smell are actually heightened a little in the morning, which is cool. Um, so okay, that's nerdy detail number one. I love right? it. Taste of tequila in the morning. Uh, so second is um, when you're tasting a spirit. Uh, ordinarily with wine, right? You're swirling it around in the glass. You're trying to get maximum oxygen into the glass. Now, the reason that you do that is uh, really it's because when you're tasting something, uh, any spirit or wine or food or whatever, if it hits your tongue, your tongue is only going to give you sensations, right? Sweet, sour, salty, spicy, umami, right? That's That's not like a flavor, right? When we think of flavor, we think chocolate, orange, rose, you know what I mean? Walnut, whatever. So those those flavors actually don't come from your tongue. They're coming from a little pad in your nose here. Um, I think it's called the aphelial pad. And so how that gets activated is as you're chewing in your mouth or as you're swishing, you see people swish around when they do serious wine tastings, yes, right? Like, yes. But the reason the reason that you do that actually is because while that liquid or that food is in your mouth, you actually have uh, an airway still going to your nose up the back of your throat, right? So as you're, if you want to really heighten your experience, and this isn't just with spirits, right? You could be having an Oreo cookie, right? And you're going to have the most complex experience with an Oreo cookie that you've ever had is as you're chewing, Keep your mouth shut and really consciously breathe in and out of your nose. And the more you breathe in and out of your nose, you'll actually realize that you're getting a fuller and fuller experience of that flavor. Isn't that interesting? I love this. Uh, yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, so cool. So, and we're talking secrets, right? These yes. are the, the secrets of the sommelier and, and the secrets of tasting spirit. So uh, this is one of the big secrets is if you want to really taste it, you have to make sure that you keep your mouth closed as you're moving it all around your mouth and you're just breathing in and out of your nose. And that is going to give you such a profound sensation of, of aroma. Okay. Oh my God. So, so right away you're, you're, you've got two big secrets, right? Taste in the morning and breathe in and out of your nose. If you've ever eaten, like, I don't know if you've ever put chocolate in your freezer, you ever like yes. freeze sweets or something, you know, and you take a bite, it doesn't really taste like much at first, right? It's kind of waxy. And then as it warms up in your mouth, uh, then you're getting this kind of aromatic quality to the food, right? So what's really cool is um, it means that temperature is, is incredibly important um, because the warmer a liquid is, the more that those volatile alcohols are escaping into the atmosphere, right? They're becoming oxygen. Uh, or they're, you know, leaving into the air. And so the warmer it is, the more easy it will be to have the aromas jump into the air, giving you that like more boozy sensation, right? That's like, if your friends have ever had like a frozen shot of tequila, right? That's why it, it tastes more and more quote unquote smooth is because you're just getting less aroma. Isn't that cool? That is so cool. I'm shocked that the best time is early in the morning. So I'm just looking at my girls here that work with me. Sorry, if you catch me drinking tequila in the morning, <laughs> it's his fault. 
It's, I, I take full responsibility for the, the, the morning tequila consumption happening near you. From that now on. is great. That is great. Okay, so one Super more question. Cool. One more question about tequila because, like I said, my boys, Jay and Jordan, both will, will fix me a drink of tequila and they'll shake it with ice, but they don't mm-hmm. give it to me with the ice. But sometimes I'll say, you know, they, okay. they do the big square cube and then they'll give it to me and whatever. And for some reason, it always just tastes better when they've prepared it. So how do you feel about shaking tequila and then pouring it with no ice and then sipping it that way or pouring it over ice and then letting that ice melt into it? What Does that ruin the drink? Sure. No, no, not at all. Um, so first of all, I think there's a misunderstanding about a thing called bruising, right? You've heard people say, oh, if you if you shake your martini, you're going to bruise the gin or whatever. Um, that's not a thing. Okay. So, okay. so right, away, right away, you never have to worry about like, will the act of shaking somehow harm the spirit, right? That's not an issue. But what is, uh, so the big difference you're going to have between pouring it over ice and shaking with ice, okay, is... Uh, this okay, so this is way more deep and interesting than you might have expected. The question's going to be, but we're just going to go there. Uh, is uh, we're going to get into a little chemistry, all right? So if I just pour tequila over ice, right, it's going to become ice cold, right? We're getting to the temperature of the ice cube, and as the ice cube then mixes with the tequila. Uh, it's, it's melting slowly into water, right? And that's diluting the tequila. Uh, so that is technically going to give you a warmer tequila. Like if you shake it, it's going to get really cold, right? That's the big difference between pouring it over ice and shaking it and get really cold. Um, the interesting thing that you may not have expected is that if I take tequila and I take an ice cube and I shake it, the tequila at the end will actually be colder than ice, colder than the ice cube, which sounds interesting, but let's like think about that for a second. So you've got tequila that's warmer than ice and you're adding it with ice that is ice temperature, right? If I shake it, the tequila will actually be colder than when the ice started, all right? You see what I'm saying? So actually you have like a net, this is chemistry weird stuff. You have a net loss of energy, okay? And the reason why, the, the reason why without getting too weird about it is uh, when you're mixing spirits with ice, uh, you are actually lowering the freezing point of the ice. It's kind of like when you salt your sidewalks in the winter time. Do you know what I mean? So I salt my sidewalk because I want the water to have a lower freezing temperature so it doesn't turn into ice, right? So it's the same story. And so because I'm adding a foreign compound, right, in this case, alcohol, I'm adding alcohol and ice, I'm shaking it. It's actually lowering the freezing temperature of the ice. And so there's a, that ice cube gets colder and the tequila gets colder and uh, the heat escapes into the air. So like you ever shake, you shake some spirit and then you open it and you see like this cold kind of foggy mist almost come out of the shaker. So that is actually, right? So that is actually uh, uh, the, the net loss of energy 
that's happening when you shake that uh, drink. Fascinating, right? And it's the violent action of moving the ice and the tequila that's really mixing all those molecules together and giving it like maximum opportunity to get cold. Um, but the, the thought that you can start with ice and then end with ice being colder than it started yes. uh, by adding something warmer then the ice is really fast. That's, that'll, the more you think about it, it'll kind of melt your brain. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> so do you suggest after you do that to just pour the colder tequila into the glass and leave the ice out? Ah, very good question. Okay. So if you're going to shake the tequila, um, the question for you is more of a sensory question, which is whether or not you like ice chips. And that's the big... So some people, when they... They shake the tequila, they pour it out. Um, there's a whole bunch of little ice chips from, you know, when you shake your ice. Uh, some people like taste that and they don't like the sensation. Do you know what I mean? Um, other people do. If you strain it, uh, it means that the tequila is not going to further dilute, right? So if, let's think about it this way. If you have a, if you make a martini, okay? I'm going to make a martini. I can strain it into a martini glass with no ice, or I can strain it over an ice cube, right? That's like upper on the rocks, right? That's my big question when I'm ordering a martini, right? Jan or vodka upper on the rocks. Um, so if you're doing it up, meaning you've strained out the ice, what does that really mean? It means that there's not ice in the drink. That drink is going to the uh, same level of dilution and slowly warmer, right? So why that matters is just like we talked about just now about aroma in your nose and your ability to taste and perceive that spirit. Um, as it gets warmer, it's gonna get more and more aromatic. And probably there's some level where it's like perfectly aromatic, right? It's not when you first shake it, cause that's when it's like maximum cold, doesn't taste much, but it's that nice big gulp of tequila, right? And you're like, oh, I wanted that so bad. But then later, you know, if you let that cocktail sit for too long, it gets like too warm, right? It's cloying. It's kind of un, unenjoyable. So I recommend straining out the ice. This is like way too long of an answer for this question, but I think no, it's I love it. Uh, I, strain, <laughs> I strain out the ice if I am a uh, relatively fast drinker, because then I want to enjoy that spirit when it's at that perfect temperature. I'll leave it on ice if I'm a slow drinker, because then instead of getting warm and cloying, it's just going to get more and more diluted. And that can be a good thing too. You know what I mean? Like for me personally, I really like a spirit on the rocks because then I can sit there for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes and just sip. I kind of like when it starts to just be an ice cube after a while. You know what I mean? That's just me. I'm like the guy that eats the ice. Uh, and so like, it, it depends on you. Right. But that's, that's all, it's all about dilution and temperature, which is like a way nerdier, yeah. <laughs> nerdier answer that I think was needed. I love that. But it's a lot of fun. I, I have to tell on myself the other night, we had a friend over at the house. Philip did. Philip had a friend, two friends. They were talking business and I took some snacks into them and Philip said to his friend, he goes, do, would you like a tequila? Cause he knows he drinks tequila and he goes, Oh, I would love one. I said, Oh, okay, great. How do you like it? And he goes, I like it neat. 
And I went, okay. And I walked into the kitchen. I went, oh gosh, I don't even know what neat means. I don't know. Like, what does that mean? So I go into the pantry and I texted Jordan. I said, Jordan, your daddy has a friend here. He just asked you to fix him a tequila neat. What does that mean? It's so bad when you have to text in the pantry, your own son, like, no, no. what does neat mean? I can, I can, having worked at uh, some of the best bars in the world, I'll tell you the, the amount of time that a bartender will crouch down under the bar and just Google something real quick, you know, or like run into the back room. This is nightly. So yeah. you are you are no worse or better than the best business, I can tell you that much. That's so great. So I've seen you on your TikTok discuss vodka and how it's sort of a unique spirit in the sense that all vodkas are really similar. Now, can you explain this? Sure. Sure, absolutely. Um, so a lot of people may not under, may not know the distinction between different vodka. Uh, and we're talking secrets, right? This yeah. is another cool little yeah. industry secret. Is uh, Technically speaking, at least in the United States, a vodka is a neutral, colorless, odorless spirit without uh, defining characteristics. So that's like the legal definition, right? And it's been a little updated since and that you can add flavorings and things. But by and large, um, when you make a vodka, the way to make it is you take any ferment, any kind of alcohol, right? And you can distill it to such a high degree of purity that it no longer meaningfully tastes of the raw materials, right? So I can start with potato, I can start with rice, I can start with apples, I can start with corn, molasses, you know, you name it. Anything that has sugar, you can make an alcohol. And if you distill that alcohol to a pure enough degree, it starts to eventually just become pure alcohol, right? And you get to 100% purity and it has no more, it's just an industrial product at that point. So to make a vodka, you need to start with basically a almost pure distillate. And then you just add water to bring it down to 40%. So whether you're having Grey Goose or Tito's or Absolute or Smirnoff, um, it, the distinctions between these products really have more to do with um, perhaps filtration. It really has to do with the kind of water that's added. But by and large, um, the distinction, once you're paying more than like $28 for a bottle of vodka, the distinctions really genuinely, from a professional standpoint, they really genuinely kind of melt away and it becomes more of a marketing question than anything else. You know, and people should drink, people should, to be clear, drink whatever makes you happy, but just know that you're, if you, when you go from a $28 bottle, $28 bottle of vodka to a $78 bottle of vodka, you're not really getting 50 more dollars of value. I can tell you that for oh, sure. Oh, wow. You're just a vodka snob, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm just uh, spreading the word out here. That, I love uh, Whatever you like, whatever you like is, is people ask like, is that a good vodka or is this a good vodka? I say, look, fundamentally, uh, we're talking about almost an identical spirit. So just whatever makes you happy is good. But you don't have to overspend for that. So one more question about vodka then. What does it mean when vodkas say they are handmade? Oh, boy. It's not a meaningful distinction. 
uh, sadly. So I, I, I wish, I wish I could say that, uh, like, first of all, when you're doing distillation, it's fundamentally an industrial process, right? It's, it's large stills. When you get into vodka distillation, because you have to distill to such a degree of purity, you're talking about an extraordinarily, uh, industrial process. You get into one of these, um, distilleries, it's almost entirely automated. It's run by computers. They have sensors at every little part of the still. It's called a continuous still. And the reason it's called a continuous still, I'm talking about the equipment in which you're making vodka, is because it runs 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It never stops making vodka. So where is the handmade component? It's difficult to say. I know uh, a couple brands, and I've talked about this on my TikTok also, have gotten sued because they claim to be a handmade product. And people said, look, you know, if it, we paid more money for your product because we took serious your claims that it was quote unquote handmade. Um, and the big legal defense was, well, you know, when we connect the hoses oh. and turn on the computers, we're using our hands. Oh, and no so, way. It's not a it's just It's just marketing nonsense. Oh, uh, no, no, no. Sadly, just marketing nonsense at the end of the day. That's so interesting. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth. But when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig the news on Merritt Street, essential television. So we've come to a place I think is a great time right now to do something we do in every podcast. When I started this podcast, I wanted to do two things on everyone. And this is the drink of the day. And our drink of the day is always created by our staff in honor of our guest and our topic. So we've created this drink of the day and we're calling it the Oaxacan Old Fashioned. This is to celebrate your recent travels to Oaxaca. Now, am I saying that correctly? Oaxaca. Oaxaca, okay. So we're going to do your recipe for a smoky and smooth mezcal old-fashioned. This drink is one and a half ounce reposado tequila, one half ounce mezcal, a bar spoon of agave syrup, two dashes of bitters, and you're going to combine everything into a glass with ice and gently stir. Strain into a new glass with a large ice cube and sip slowly. So this is in honor of you. Cheers. I wish, Cheers. It, I wish it was Delicious. first thing in the morning. <laughs> oh, that's very, very good. Outstanding. Well, what's fun about the Oaxacan Old Fashioned is you're just adding a little mezcal, right? So you're getting the benefit of that smoky grassy kind of nature um but it's tempered by the the buttery reposado tequila that's in the glass and the other thing that's fun about having these spirits is an old-fashioned and old-fashioned classically is a uh, spirit a little sugar a little bitters and an ice cube maybe with a twist you know a little oil on there and so when you have such a simple recipe delicious right when you have such a simple recipe, it really lets the spirit shine 
and tequila, it's, it's a beautiful spirit, so it's worth just sipping. Yes, it is. I've always been one of those that hard to sip anything, but yes, this is this I could sip. <laughs> I'm one of those that just it's a think drink. Yeah, yeah. Oh, first that's... thing in the morning. There you go. That is just delicious. So all of you listeners out there, just know you can go to I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com, and we'll have this recipe on there. Yay! Cheers. Okay, so you've traveled all around the world, opening top bars. How does the essence or vibe? of a specific city factor into creating a new bar? Oh, wow. This is a fantastic question, Robin. Great question. Um, So my company uh, is called Louder Tascarella Hospitality. And what we do is we help people, anybody that has space, like let's say that you've got a room in a building and you say, I've got a dream that I want this to be a great cocktail bar or restaurant or whatever. And we take people on the entire journey from designing on paper, proving the business case, making the financial model, helping them find investment, um, helping them order the equipment, getting everything installed, staff training, all the way through grand opening. Um, so we can really, it's, there's few, a very small number of groups in the world that will actually take you the whole way from creative to business and then into operations. So that's like our superpower for all the listeners out there. Um, When it comes to creating the vibe of a bar and when it comes to putting together one of these spaces, um, I've increasingly taken the stance that because a bar or a restaurant is in service of the community that it's in, meaning, you know, I'm here, let's imagine I'm in Austin or Houston or wherever, like, it's, it's really the people that live here um, are coming to my venue. Now, that sounds like an obvious point, but you'd be very surprised because there's also a, 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 a appetite for people to want to win national recognition or global recognition. You know, I want a, a Michelin star or I want all these international accolades. But the, the slippery nature of wanting international recognition is that you naturally start to um, creatively change what you're building in service of the expectation of those voters or international panels or whatever. Um, Whereas increasingly, especially with the rise of like TikTok, with these platforms that lit people on a local level find other people in the community like them to find credible bars and restaurants where they want to go. Like it's gotta be totally driven by what do people in this neighborhood actually want and need at the end of the day, you know? And so um, whether that's, we've opened Four Seasons Hotel in Seoul, South Korea, I've done, uh, you name the hotel brand across China, uh, so Amon, Capella, Accor, Four Seasons, Weston, Hyatt, uh, Edition, Rosewood, on and on and on and on. And so these are, what's really interesting about this question, right, is that these are international brands, right? Most of them are European headquartered international brands. And so when a brand like that, or let's even imagine Gordon Ramsay wants to open a restaurant in Shanghai, right? Hypothetically. 
So I'm Gordon Ramsay. I want to open a restaurant in Shanghai. That's a critical uh, question. Should it feel like Ramsay Vegas, right? Should it feel like Ramsay UK? Or should it feel like some new thing, right? How much Gordon DNA gets in there and how much, let's say he wants to open it in Shanghai. How much should it feel like Shanghai? And how much do you need to kind of like respect and see the local trends and culture in that country? Now that, I, I think that it used to be the case that uh, a sh someone like, we're using this Gordon Ramsay example, coming to Shanghai 10 years ago, it probably would have been a carbon copy of Hell's Kitchen, Las Vegas or uh -huh. whatever. Uh -huh. You just open it and there you go. Yeah. Nowadays, it's more 50-50, 60-40 in favor of um, making it local and relevant to meaningful. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that doesn't mean you totally abandon the cuisine style, but that means that you can you can have a lot more fun with the local community. That's so funny because when you started talking about that, I thought, oh, I don't know. If, if, if I got to go to Shanghai, I don't think I would want to visit a Gordon Ramsay restaurant that was just Gordon Ramsay because, I mean, I'm in Shanghai. I want to visit <laughs> Shanghai and exactly. everything that speaks Shanghai, the, the cuisine and, and everything. So I would think I would lend more towards being surrounded during my dining experience with Shanghai. With the local yes. the local feelings, exactly. So then, then you start getting, okay, well, this is a really interesting question then, right? Because then you start getting into, um, there's what you and I might want as traveling tourists into that market, right? right. But then there's the people in that neighborhood, like, do they want more Chinese options or are they looking True. for, you know, tasting something foreign? But then you get into um, service culture. So I'll give you another, I'll give you another like example in the same thread is, so we went to uh, Seoul in, in South Korea and opened a cocktail bar there. And so originally when we did the staff training and everything, we very much followed American standards. So for example, um, if I have a, a, a table of guests at the bar and they have a glass of water, just as an example, right? You drink 80% of that glass of water, someone should be coming around to refill your water, right? You know what I mean? This is just good service in the United States. Um, in Korea, you have a totally different expectation of service culture, where if you and I were to go out to a bar, let's imagine that we're Korean and live in Seoul. We go out to a bar, we uh, have a very different expectation, which is that you and I are going to be mostly left alone to talk about where it is we want to talk about. When we want more water, we're going to wave our hands in the air, call out to the server. Usually you say, auntie, imonim, imonim. <laughs> you, you're, you wave them over and then the, the servers come to you, right? And you tell them what you want. So you run into these uh, kind of thorny cultural questions of, okay, we're a Four Seasons, so we need to, and this is what I talked about earlier when we talk about international expectation. So I'm a Four Seasons hotel. 
I'm, I have a cocktail bar that's based on American mixology. Do I follow Forbes five-star, six-star hotel standard with the Western, Occidental, Anglo-American expectation of service and hospitality? Or do I uh, put as precedent the local expectation and the local culture, right? And that's what we had to wind up deciding at the end of the day is like, even though we're coming with uh, international ideas and novel, you know, styles of drinks and all this, at the end of the day, no matter where we go in the world, we are guests, you know what I mean? And so uh, I think putting that humble foot forward and saying, look, like, even though we're building this project, it's not really about us at the end of the day. It's about the people that are coming here every single day and making sure they feel comfortable, right? Making sure they feel excited. And that was a real paradigm shift, I think, for us is, is um, you know, eating that humble pie and, and wow. remembering that it's, you know, we're in service at the end of the day. We're in service of other communities. Wow. So excuse me if I sound stupid here, but so in Shanghai, it's not about Gordon Ramsay. It's about the residents and those that live in Shanghai. I, yeah, I mean, well, this is this is first off, there's there's no such thing as a as a stupid question. But secondly, um, it's it's thorny, right? Yeah. It's thorny because if you make it, if you you can't totally. If the expectation is, I'm. Let's imagine that I'm a Shanghainese and I'm going to a local, like a the new Gordon Ramsay restaurant or Shake Shack. You know, Shake Shack's a great example. They they opened opened in Shanghai. They're crushing it. It is Shake Shack food, comma. There's some subtle tweaks to the recipe. Things are very subtly sweeter. Bread is very subtly softer. The milkshake is all with local flavors. Um, KFC is. I'll tell you. Here's a crazy one for you: is if you go to KFC in Shanghai. It feels like a nightclub. Uh, there's a full bar you can order. And Taco, no, Taco Bell is a better example. Taco Bell, full bar, neon lights, Chinese hip hop music playing in the radio. Um, totally different kinds of food and beverage that you can't get here in the States. Like they really adopted we're here in service of the local community kind of ethos. It's a different balance for each brand. And that's, that's like the mix of art and science. I think that would be so much fun to go to that Taco Bell. Keep just enough of the DNA of the brand. Yeah. It's unreal. I have, I have, I took so many photos uh, and, and there's even things like Taco Bell in China. Let's just keep digging into this example. Um, I saw yesterday, cause I still follow all the little Chinese trends and you know, what's what's popular over there because uh, it's very interesting in terms of food and beverage um, with Gen Z especially. And so at Taco Bell right now in China, you can get an Oatly, Oatly the oat milk, right? You can get an Oatly collab uh, cappuccino in an edible chocolate cookie cup that is uh, chocolate dipped, and made for social media. And that is an Oatly China and Taco Bell China uh, collab that only exists there. So I want you to imagine, you go to Taco Bell, hip hop, neon lights, full bar, 
you order yourself a mojito, and I order myself an Oatly collab cappuccino in an edible chocolate cookie cup, and then we get maybe a, a, a chalupa or something. And that's your lived experience at Taco Bell China. That is amazing, though. That sounds like the ultimate vacation meal. <laughs> Just totally, it's totally different. I, I had a really fun time. Um, we got contracted by Starbucks to write all of their cocktail programming. And you wouldn't even think of having a cocktail at a Starbucks in the States, for example, but they were hardcore about it. Um, amazing executive team there. And um they wound up implementing like you can get an Aperol spritz. We did a nitro, so like imagine like a Guinness draft system, and like a nitro espresso martini. That so we made a keg of fresh espresso martini, cognac vodka split base spirit, beautifully made, and they would uh, sell them to go. So you you if you're at Starbucks Shanghai. You can get yourself on draft a cognac vodka espresso martini in a carryaway cup to take back up to your office with you. Amazing. That's real life. That real is life amazing. It does it say it yeah, on the outside pressure. of the cup that it's alcohol? Uh, I they they don't have to. They oh. don't have to there. So it just is there's not like an open container law in that country. So you can, you know, you can just yeah, I, they were making people like Aperol spritz. And They're you brilliant. Can grab a couple of Aperol spritz on your lunch break. You know, it's fun. That was one of my favorite projects I've ever done. That is working working with Starbucks to implement cocktails for them. Yeah, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. So, how do you research the drinking culture in other cities and countries? Oh boy, I mean, the best way the best way is to go. Right? Is you you don't really know until you've walked in. Those shoes we've done, our company LTH has done uh, now projects in New York, San Diego, Nashville, Miami, the Caribbean, you name it. And so I travel all the time, um, but you you have to be there. I was just in Chattanooga a couple of months ago. I had no idea there was such a vibrant food and beverage scene there, but you also get um, you get interesting insights. Like it rains like crazy when we were in Chattanooga. Originally, we were working with this hotel to put together like this cool, um, almost like your friend's pool party, you know, like outdoor kind of open grill, uh, putting like a food truck in there that's just a full bar and, you know, string lights and just, just fun, you know, like a little bluegrass type vibe. And, um, but then as we were putting it together, we just went down there and realized that it, it's so very rainy <laughs> <laughs> so often when it rains, it's like a downpour. And yeah. so we, we had to like remake the whole commercial model, um, and, and move a lot of the business inside just in order to make the business more viable for the, for the owners. So it's like, there's, there's obvious insights, like local ingredients, local drinking traditions, whatever. But there's also really sneaky, subtle things, you know, yeah. uh, that you wouldn't know until you went there. Oh, that's so interesting. In Michelin star restaurants, what standards are the bartenders held to? And do they have any special certifications? Oh, boy. Um, so 
in Michelin star restaurants, bartending, and this is a, it's a, I'm going to make a, 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 an edgy claim here. I okay. think bartending is one of the very difficult, maybe one of the most difficult positions um, in a Michelin star restaurant if there's dining at the bar. And the difficulty is that in a Michelin star restaurant, the expectation during inspection by a Michelin inspector, right? These are the famous, they go undercover and uh, yeah. it's a, you never know who's the Michelin inspector. So one of the things that they judge is, is the, is the experience absolutely consistent? So that's a, that's a really hard standard because the, they'll order the same menu, the same meal on several occasions, but they'll sit intentionally in different parts of the restaurant. You know, if I come on a, a Sunday at uh, 10.30 a.m. or if I come on a Saturday night at 7 p.m., that's a totally different team usually, yeah. totally different business levels. Um, you know, the Wednesday crew and the Saturday crew in a lot of big restaurants are not the same crew, right? right. It's like you've got your, not like your A team and your B team, but it, it, these groups of people are just having different reps. And so uh, to keep training and service levels absolutely consistent is already really hard. If you're standing at a bar, you're doing uh, several jobs at the same time. In one hand, cocktails are production, right? You're the same as a line cook in some ways where you're uh, making recipes according to tickets that print out of the printer and, you know, I'm making two martinis and a whatever. So I'm making things that have to go to some table way over there. I'm not going to interact with those people, but their drinks have to be perfectly consistent. Comma, I also need to be in a sales position or a server position. There's somebody sitting in front of me. I've got to be head up, charming, uh, ask good questions, be informed about the menu. Someone says, oh, I'm interested in this dish, but I have a, a, I'm allergic to garlic. Can I order it? You've got to know, you know, off the top of your head, like, you can have this, you can't have this, the kitchen can make substitutions for that dish, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then you've got the wine pairings and then you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and during that person's meal, a lot of people don't know this, we're, we're talking secrets, right? So this is a, 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 a service secret, is as you're dining, your servers are keeping an eye on you and usually uh, going to the computers to type in what's called a fire ticket. So if I'm in my third course, let's talk about a fancy restaurant, right? I'm having eight courses, let's say. I'm at the end of my second course. I've got maybe two bites left. When I'm at two bites left, the server responsible for me is putting a fire ticket into the kitchen so they can time my next dish so that it's in front of me at, in a smooth enough pace. You don't want too little time courses, otherwise it feels rushed. Too much time and you're like, okay, this meal's taking too long, right? That's really, a, it's a hard thing to time. Then the kitchen has to deal with all that, right? That's a whole other story. So the bartender is not only making probably a whole bunch of service tickets, also taking care of other guests. Also, like if it's a busy bar like we had at the Nomad Hotel, they might be 
two or three deep. You know what I mean? It's you're there dining, but they've got, you know, the finance bro trying to scream over your ear, like asking for, uh, you know, another round of cocktails. So you're dealing with that. You're checking people out, but you're also having to keep an eye on all the diners. Who is two bites away? Are they two bites away because they're eating fast or are they two bites away because they're talking to each other? But I think they're going to finish those two bites. Should I ask? Have I been paying attention? Right? All these questions. Um, and so to get it perfect, like the feeling, you'll never have the feeling that you had a perfect service if you're working at that level. Like there's always something to get better at. But to try and keep all those plates spinning in your mind perfectly is a, a real tough task. It's a real <laughs> mental task. Wow, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that is so interesting because when you're sitting there enjoying that meal, you don't realize the teams working and having to work together. I hope everyone hears this and really takes a notice and appreciates the choreography yeah, of yes. that meal. It's what one of the things that we really seriously looked into. Um, we would do annual planning at the Nomad Hotel and Nomad Hotel's sister restaurant. 11 Madison Park went on to win uh, number one restaurant in the world. And that's my business partner actually used to be their COO. So that's, that's um, when you're, when you work with LTH, that's, that's what you get to work with, which is fun. Uh, so one of, one of the things that they seriously looked into for 11 Madison Park, because they have such, it's three missions, like it's that's top tier. Every service has to be as close to perfection as possible. So if you get up to go to the bathroom the kitchen needs to stop your dish the next course because because if you if it gets served like that's the moment when it's perfect perfect temperature perfect texture perfect consistency the server's there to present the dish to kind of explain what's going on right so that's um, if you're in the bathroom you miss all that so it's not acceptable in that level to drop a dish while one of the guests is away. So that also means that the kitchen, now these dishes are not easy to prepare, right? You're talking multiple people at multiple stations, perfectly timing different kinds of food. It can't just sit under a heat lamp and dry out on the pass, right? It's gotta be perfectly ready at the perfect time. Wow. So one of the things that we went so far, one of the things that we seriously looked into was, can we put pressure sensors in people's seats? So that the kitchen has like a switchboard and can just see, you know, when you get up and when you sit back down, wound up not implementing it. And we just added, they just added more um, computers at the end of the day to just to have more access to terminals so that people could fire that information back. But it's, it's pretty amazing when you really get into it, all the level of detail. Oh, that is so interesting. And I feel, I just thought that I must throw a lot of people, a lot of them off because I eat fairly slow. My husband eats fast and I always give half of what I have to him. And so they're probably thinking, oh, it's going to be a while before we start hers because she's got half of, oh, wait a minute. She just gave it all to him. And now he, he just finished it all. They're done. Yeah. Absolutely. And then I'll tell you at the, at the very high level, um, what will happen is after that meal, uh, they will put that into a permanent guest note for you. And so next time when you go for your reservation, the server like 
here's the, here's the secret. Here's the secret for everyone listening is when you go in for your restaurant reservation, sometimes they'll tie in who you are into their little computer and it'll yep. spit out a little ticket. Yeah. Right. And that ticket is like, you know, who's the name of the reservation? How yeah. many are they? And that ticket usually gets handed over to your server and yeah. it's a little study sheet. If you have a really long ticket, it means they've got a lot on you. And that's, that could be a good thing. That could be a bad thing. Right? That's so funny. That's so, that's so good sometimes though. That's the great. Is like, yeah. So sometimes the note is like, this person has a bad temper. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like it's, we, we're, we get really weird with it and take a lot of notes. It's a lot of fun. Oh, I just love it. So, okay. What cocktail trends are you loving right now? Oh my gosh. Um, the, the biggest cocktail trend I think that I'm loving right now is really this trend towards, um, like, I guess health, wellness and inclusivity, which is, we talked a little bit about it earlier and that's, um, making more space for non-alcoholic drinks that aren't silly, right? It, it's been for the longest time, if I don't drink, and oftentimes I don't, right? Even though I'm in this space, maybe because I'm in this space, I'm just surrounded by it. And so for me, like, if I'm not drinking, I'm not drinking. But I go out in New York City, what are my options at a lot of cocktail bars is like a Coke, an orange juice, a hot tea, you know what I mean? I feel like I'm 12, right? What am I going to go to Shirley Temple? So uh, this this trend towards being more thoughtful about that space is really inspiring. I think that uh, that's definitely here to stay. And it also dovetails into like, I see more and more cocktails with adaptogens and you know, health forward ingredients and whether it's spirulina or turmeric or whatever, like that's definitely here to stay for sure. Um, and the other big trend I think that's going to impact every industry is um, AI. And so this is a huge section of the industry that's going to continue to grow and be interesting. And you might be thinking like, how does artificial intelligence have anything to do with cocktail bars is in terms of Menu writing, recipe writing, graphic design, uniform design, eventually soundtracks. Like there's a, um, in a bar, you can't just play any music, right? In a restaurant, you have to make sure that you have a commercial license for that music. So eventually like it'll be, it'll, it'll be a, a way to, I think, lower the barrier to entry for opening one of these spaces because you'll have, very cheap license, AI generated art, music, you know, uniform design. I also saw today that Microsoft is rolling out into all of their office suite, um, natural language inputs. So I'll be able to go into Excel and just say in English, like, make me a pivot table for these cells uh, to show revenue, cost, and profitability. And it'll just do it, right? I don't need to know Excel. I just need to know how to speak inputs. And so I think for a lot of people, right, that means you're going to be able to open a business. You're going to be able to probably have an easier time managing your business for a lower cost. Um, in terms of small businesses, I really see a lot of upside. So that's exciting for me just as someone who works and helps a lot of people in their business. Yes. If they can find success more easily, that's a win. 
Well, I think that's great. You were talking about the non-alcoholic drink trend, and it was just last month in January. I love to look at Gotham Magazine online. They had a mm. whole spread on non-alcoholic drinks for dry January, and it was so, they were beautiful drinks, beautiful. It was a long yeah. article, and I thought, this is so fun. So it's like you can still have fun. You can still go out with your friends. You can still go to bars and order one of these beautiful drinks. So it's not like you're, like, boring or you have to stay home yes. just because you don't want to drink. No, it's it's so great. I mean, my wife has um, endometriosis and it causes her a really terrible crap when she has alcohol. Yes. And that's, uh, you know, it's one of these invisible conditions that not a lot of people are conscious of. Um, but it's it's a bummer, right? Like we want to go out, we yes. want to go out on a date. And if I'm having a cocktail and she has to have like a Coca-Cola, that doesn't feel sexy. Exactly. Right? Like that doesn't feel... It doesn't feel like a night on the town, right? That's so right. to be able to now go to more and more places and we can both order something that we both mm-hmm. feel grown yes. and just have a good time together, yes. that's a win. I love it. I love it. So is there anything exciting coming up that you'd like to share? Oh, my gosh, absolutely. Um, so firstly, I'd say uh, for anybody listening to uh, I've just released some more free bar and restaurant development tools. So if this is a space that you're interested in, if you're a professional in this space, um, I keep link trees in all my social media. That's Instagram and TikTok, especially where I'm get louder now, G-E-T-L-O-W-D-E-R-N-O-W. And I keep those free resources for anybody who wants them. I really don't believe in charging people for like fundamental education in this space because I think working in bars and restaurants is like one of the fundamental skills of people. Like everybody eats, many people drink. And for whether it's a young person or somebody looking to just kind of like change their career, um, I believe that you should have free access to that kind of information. So it's not behind a paywall. I don't want your email address. I don't scrape any information. It's literally free. You just download PDFs. So that always stays on my social all the time. And you're free to download them and and, and we'll keep adding to it, um, to that library. Oh, that's and so wonderful. that's also some of our like, yeah, yeah. That's Thank so you wonderful. Can you, can you give your social media contacts again? Sure, sure. So I'm Get Louder Now, G-E-T-L-O-W-D-E-R-N-O-W. And so especially on TikTok and Instagram, the same at, and you just click my little link tree and there's always files and files to share. I share recipes. I share little cost Excel templates for if you want to like cost out your recipe or if you're doing a little event or something, just like fundamental business stuff, also fundamental craft tools, recipes for syrups and infusions and all this. Um, Someone asked me a long time ago if I was going to ever write like a recipe book. For me, it's just give that stuff away because for young people or especially, you know, like hard times economically, if somebody wants to change career or like, who knows, right? Always there's jobs in in bars and restaurants somewhere and this is a skill set that you can travel with you can take wherever you want to go in the world 
And so if that's useful, I just want people to have it. Oh. So please feel free to hop in and download for yourself. You're amazing. That is just wonderful. <laughs> this is the right thing to do. Oh. It, it feels good to do the right thing. That's so wonderful. So I told you I insist on doing two things with every podcast. So we've come to the time where we're going to do the second thing that we do with every podcast, and that's the game of the day. Okay. Okay, so we create our own game, and it's for our guest and for our topic of our podcast. So the name of this game is called Bartender's Choice. Oh, boy. Okay, so I don't know anything about this game. The staff here creates the game for me. In this game, I'm going to read off a series of ingredients based on these main ingredients. You have to name the cocktail I'm making. Okay, so we're going to do one round. Now, I have a feeling you're going to be amazing at this. So your goal is to get all 12. Okay, the theme of this round is classics. Okay, vodka, lime juice, ginger beer. That's a Moscow meal. Moscow meal. Number two, gin, lemon juice, club soda, simple syrup. The Tom Collins. Sorry, we got that. <laughs> it is a Tom Collins. Okay, bourbon, triple sec, lemon juice. Bourbon, triple sec. Uh, it's some kind of, I mean, that's, so the category is a daisy. I don't think you'd call it a, a whiskey daisy, though. What do you got? Sidecar. Sidecar. Oh, I see a bourbon sidecar. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, okay. 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 Number four. Mix it up. Okay. Yeah. Rum, lime juice, simple syrup. It's a daiquiri. Yes, it's a daiquiri. Bourbon. Sugar, bitters. Old fashioned. Yes. Bourbon, sweet, vermouth, and bitters. Oh, it's the Manhattan. Yes. Okay. Tequila, lime juice, triple sec, and agave. That's a margarita. Yes, yeah. it is. Yes, it is. Gin, Campari, and sweet vermouth. That's a Negroni. Yum. Yes. Vodka, olive juice, dry vermouth. It's a dirty martini. Yes. Okay. Whiskey, <laughs> lemon juice, egg white, and simple syrup. I didn't know there was anything with an egg white. Oh, in it, but... boy. Oh, yeah. Whiskey sour. And you know what? For anybody listening, try it with the egg white. It's delicious with the egg white. A hundred percent. Gosh, I'd never heard of that. Okay. Gin, simple syrup, and lime juice. Uh, gimlet. Yes. Okay, vodka, cran oh, I love these. Vodka, cranberry juice, lime, and triple sec. Oh, it's a it's a Cosmo. Yum. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, that's it. <laughs> I that had a great time. You're 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 laughing. I had an awesome time. That this, was a that was fun. our game. I was into it. Yes. Well, I should have known you. I should have played it because I would not have gotten but the margarita. I, I would just have gotten the margarita. Sure. And the Cosmo. Well, the, the, egg white, the egg white's the sneaky one. That's It's very worth trying. A lot of people, when they you go to a cocktail bar and you see someone adding a raw egg into the drink, you're like, I don't know. Worth it. Worth it. That's my, that's my tip for everybody listening at home. Well, good to know. Good to know, listeners. Try it with the egg white. Blech. I don't think I will, but maybe. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of the episode. But before we wrap up, 
I need to ask you just one final question. This podcast is all about sharing life-changing secrets. Even though you have been great at sharing some secrets today, do you have one major secret that you've learned that you'd like to share with the listeners? Sure. I think the the real secret that I've learned along my weird journey is to always work harder on yourself than you do on your job. That's the number one secret. Number one secret. And that's a hard one to live by because your work is always going to feel very urgent. But if you can spend time being a little uncomfortable, learning some different skills, learning about other people and other cultures, doing like the hard work, um, that's exponential. And you can really change. I'll just say to anyone listening, like I used to wash dishes for a living in Maryland. Like that's, that was me growing up, right. Is working in a crab restaurant, 15 years old. I worked in cooked. I, you know, cooked to support myself through college and all this. My real growth as a person was uh, always doing things that I felt utterly unprepared for and, and spending time on myself when there was lots of urgent stuff happening around me. If you can do that, if you can like live by that, you will change your life slowly and sure. I promise. Oh, that's beautiful. That's just beautiful and wonderful. Thank you so much. And now just one more time, please tell the listeners where to find you on social media. Sure. Thanks for listening, everybody. My name's Chris Louder. I'm at Get Louder Now, G-E-T-L-O-W-D-E-R-N-O-W. And I post a lot of fun, nerdy stuff about cocktails, as you probably learned today, but also some cool business stuff as we go around the world. My company, LTH, builds bars, restaurants, and hotels around the world. So come visit, check us out, and and, uh, we'll, we'll share whatever we can. Well, you've been fantastic. You've been so much fun. I so appreciate your time. And Secret Squad, as always, head on over to I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com for more from this episode. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.